0: Hello and welcome to Time for Cherry Pie and Coffee and this is a special episode called My Pod Has a Message from You
1: Mm.
0: where what we've decided to do is put out a call for any questions from any of our listeners because we thought it was a good time to maybe take stock of what's going on and there are so many things going on and people are starting to formulate interesting theories. There's lots of things which we thought might have been resolved by now but haven't been resolved and we we're talking about it on Twitter with people and we thought well what we'll do is we'll try and get like a consensus of some questions that maybe cover a few different aspects of what's been going on in the return and put them together into this special bonus episode of Cherry Pie and Coffee.
1: Yes yeah, so we've had some really interesting questions come in that we're going to run through uh, and then we've got a couple of kind of random additional thoughts at the end as well. Um, and it's, it's probably good time to get them out because the hype for part 12 is starting to build in a very kind of part eight-ish way which is very exciting so who knows what's going to happen next but we're going to have a, a stab at having a guest
0: yeah so i think if this goes well what we'll do is we might do it again a little bit later on hmm. uh, but maybe everything will go haywire after tonight's episode <laughs> and we'll just want to be cowering under a blanket saying i don't want any more questions i don't want any more questions." <laughs> Um, But saying that, yeah, let's crack on with our questions for this episode of My Pod Has a Message from You. Mm. Okay, so our first question is from Rosebud3606 and also from Hannah who uses the Twitter handle WizColorWire and this is related to the recent theory that was posted on the reddit forum by ian t smith which i'm sure lots of you probably know about now but it was a post entitled jack rabbit's palace 253 and the purple room and it was to do with a really interesting theory about how the timelines that we're seeing involving dale and dougie etc could potentially be explained by a what, a 10-day displacement of body and consciousness which may have occurred when Cooper left the Purple Room and was released back into the real world.
1: Yeah, so the the kind of short version of the theory is that the Purple Room, which is the room where he encountered Nido, an American girl, exists 10 days ahead of time in the real world or, or time as we are seeing it play out in the rest of the series which means it could be Saturday, October 1st in the Purple Room and September 21st on Earth. So when Coop gets ejected from the Purple Room through the electrical socket and appears back in Las Vegas, the, the, the kind of summary of the theory is that his body has appeared in Las Vegas on September 21st, but his consciousness exists on October the 1st. And has come out in the pulper room or is still in the pulper room or however that would work. And therefore his his physical self and his consciousness are separated. And that's why he's acting the way that he is.
0: Yeah, so uh, both Rosebud and Hannah kind of wanted us to, I think, provide our own thoughts on this as well. Um, I think it's a really interesting theory, which... um, Well, I'm in two minds about it because I think going through... This really detailed post. I think a lot of the uh, evidence for it does stack up. The one thing that I find a bit um, unusual is I can't really imagine this being uh, used directly as an explanation of what is going on. So I think it all ties together. I think it's a really interesting idea. Personally, I can't imagine a scene in Twin Peaks where this is explicitly stated as the explanation for what is going on although I can kind of see it as a template for how they may have um, aligned the events with Dougie the purple room and Dale etc
1: yeah I mean that the theory goes into a lot of detail on the timelines and how they would stack up in terms of the dates that we're able to establish so for example the date that we can establish as being Bill Hastings' interrogation in, in Buckhorn, what we know must have happened before and after that point, the fact that we know that um, Hawke and the rest of the, the team sheriff's department are going to be going to Jack Jackrabbit's palace on October 1st. And it, it's interesting that there must be some kind of connection between October 1st and what we think must be September 21st, based on the timeline, because there is something happening at 2.53, specifically on both of them. And it we know that the the incident where Mr C almost got sucked back into the Lodge at 2.53, that can't be October 1st because it has to have happened before everything with, with Bill Hastings' interrogation. That must have happened earlier in September. So it would make sense for that to be September 21st. So what's the connection? Why are they both 2.53? Why is that important? Um, it, it could be that there is some element of Dale that is still trapped in the Lodge and that is why he's acting the way that he is whether it's his consciousness or his his spirit or or some piece of him that's missing. And we, we wondered before, I think, if, if maybe Hawke was going to be the person who would actually get that back. Because we thought, you know, if if they go to the entrance to the Black Lodge, and Hawke clearly knows where it is because he's been to Glastonbury Grove and we we saw him in the woods at night with the red curtains, although we're not sure when that, that happened. Yeah,
0: I think we have to take that with a bit of caution because so we thought as well like many people have that that scene might come a lot later on so it may not have happened uh, yet as well
1: yeah but we wondered if he went in what's he going to find because Coop's already out flown the coop (laughs) (laughs) both Coop's have flown the coop um, from their respective prisons by this point Um, it's some of the kind of elements of the theory I I think I'm, I'm not so sure on so for example I think one part of the theory is that maybe Mr C engineered it so that Dale's mind was in one place, but his body came back earlier because it would make him easier to kill. That basically he would be in Las Vegas and be pretty much helpless. He couldn't really defend himself. Um, And therefore he would be able to quite easily send people to kill him. And to a certain extent that would be the case. I mean, when Ike tried to kill him, he did seem to wake up a little bit. But also he probably would have been killed very early on without the some kind of lodge protection looking over him there's some there's some kind of magical lodge protection is helping him out in las vegas certainly with the with him getting all the winnings in the casino the mitchin brothers dream the cherry pie um you know mike interfering some, something is interfering in las vegas to stop him being killed but i i just don't know how mr c would have engineered that and why he wouldn't have just if, if it was so important why didn't he make a hundred different contingency plans to make yeah. sure that he absolutely 100% would get killed
0: it seems a, like a very intricate way of making a plan that has you know it's like well it's kind of like a death star which has been engineered to destroy planets obviously but it's got so many of those dodgy ducts in it (laughs) that you could actually fire into it at any particular location it's not like you know it doesn't require the one specific way to take it out
1: yeah
0: it's so flawed for somebody who is so calculating i think it just seems a bit um well it's i think it's a theory which i think ties together so many different elements of things but it speaks to that fact that the same clues can probably be reinterpreted in multiple different ways I think the one thing I do like about this theory is it does start to put together the elements of uh, the disparate temporal events that we're seeing so you know I don't think necessarily I'm not sure about you that we're seeing alternate realities here I think it's more likely that we're seeing um, a story which is being told out of order but it is still a you know it's concurrent linear stories and they and they're just slightly out of sync occasionally they may catch up it's mm. unclear or they're just moving at different paces so for example in part 11 we know that the events in twin peaks itself are potentially moving slower than the events we're seeing in uh, buckhorn or las vegas yeah because we're still spanning that same day in twin peaks where the little tubular object that was found in the chair was opened and then being interpreted later on in the evening in light of Hawke's map so i think there is something going on with the timelines i think it's interesting that uh there's an idea that you can separate consciousness and body i think that if it is the case i don't think it'll be explicitly explained like this um but i can imagine mark frost wanting to have a structure to what he's seeing and coming up with a well in very broad strokes an outline of how these events might be being played out but i don't know how they've been fiddled around with you know after the script and filming in terms of editing to make them even more out of place
1: yeah i think what i do like about this theory is first of all it 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 does go into a lot of detail so it's a very long reddit post it's worth reading if you haven't read it It goes into a lot of detail of trying to structure everything together so the key getting posted to the Great Northern and things like that and how that would all fit into the timeline. And I do like the idea that there is still something of Dale stuck in somewhere lodgy that yeah. is preventing him from kind of regaining his true self or, or becoming a complete person again. Um but I what I'm not sure in is is this being intentional from from Mr C. In fact I'm I'm not entirely sure how important it is for Mr. C that Cooper dies. He seems it seems to be more important to him to find out these coordinates and to get to where he wants to go. Yeah. He does want Cooper dead.
0: But that's a second priority for him. Yeah
1: his his focus seems to be getting those coordinates. That seems to be more important.
0: Yeah his his little plane card didn't have a picture of Dougie on <laughs> saying this is what I want. <laughs> you know it was that crazy mother like owl crazy black splodge symbol so Mm -hmm. um yeah the black splodge the black lodge (laughs) just got that um yeah i i think uh it's a really interesting theory and i and what i do like is as the episodes are progressing i don't think we could have um been privy to such a wonderful post Mm -hmm. actually two episodes in yeah um it's really nice actually that this post is well it I don't really read any of the Reddit posts, but I mean, it does show that people are starting to put the pieces together and I can imagine this being correct in certain ways, but I'm also of the opinion that sometimes it's maybe best not to explain everything so explicitly. So I'm not super worried if they actually have a very discreet idea of what's going on. I'd be more annoyed if they, for example, had an overarching explanation that had forgotten about aspects of the plot that seemed important like you know what was happening in the glass box are we going to return to that I mean those aspects I think I think the presence of certain story points is more important in the quote-unquote you know final explanation of what's going on Um, but it's nice that there's a way that you could tie together events that we're seeing so far in such a elegantly described theory I'm just not sure if it's the one or sort of part of the one or completely way off base
1: yeah i mean it it nicely kind of starts going into some of the events in the pulper room like maybe nido putting the switch was that in some way shifting the time frame in which something was going to happen and and it also goes back to um what american girl says when when she says when you get there you will already be there and is that a reference to when you're when your spirit gets there your body will already be there because we were thinking it meant that Dougie was already there it could have a second meaning I'm not sure if they're ever going to explicitly explain what was happening in the purple room yeah. or even what it was or where it was but I, I love how no matter what happens in the rest of the series it's going to be one of those sequences that you return to over and over again and theorise yeah. about what was actually going on in that room without Lynch and Frost ever saying well actually it was." Yeah. it's this um you know extra dimensional pace and this is what was happening i don't think we're ever going to get a, an explanation and i quite like that
0: yeah i mean i i actually love to see somebody come up with a theory which took exactly the same information and came up with a wildly different <laughs>
1: um
0: interpretation that would put a different framework to all these different clues and mm. a you know alternate theory of what's going on that was just as plausible The next three questions are from Matt Cult, who uses the Twitter handle at MattGhost. And his first question, what role do you think Laura Palmer will play in the rest of the series?
1: Oh, um, I think she is going to have a very big role in the end, but I do think it might be at the end. Yeah. Um, the, the fact that we haven't really seen her since parts one and two when Cooper met her in the Black Lodge and yet she's been kind of present her 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 presence has been almost kind of inhabiting the series the way that you see her face at the beginning of the opening credits every time the way Cole saw her in the doorway when he opened the door to Albert things like that she she is there and I think she will play a very big role particularly given what we saw in part eight with um
0: the golden orb yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. She, she must have some really important role to play. But I, I do wonder if if her return will be the last return yeah. to Twin Peaks and that it will, it will bring some kind of closure together. Because I, I think there must be something that is going to happen between her and Bob as an entity that will bring some kind of closure to the events.
0: Yeah, one thing that actually goes back to our previous question was I didn't see much of an explanation of how the Dale plotline really fits in with the bigger mythology of laura and bob so i think that there is this uh, link between dale bob and laura which has yet to play out and i think all these episodes in the first two-thirds of the return have really been focused on establishing at the bigger level that laura and bob are still in play but actually the events that we've seen play out largely on screen have been the arc involving dale so sort of to explain how he's going to come into this bigger picture so i think that as we're reaching the point where it mean it could be tonight but i guess it could be the very end of tonight's episode part 12 or maybe the beginning of 13 i think we will see the return of cooper although we keep saying that um <laughs> But when he's back, I think that will then uh, initiate the events where Bob is around and also Laura is around. Because with Cooper back in play, potentially that means that, as we've discussed before, it'll be a different Cooper. But his first challenge might be his interaction with Doppelcoop. But we also know that Doppelcoop is intrinsically tied to Bob hmm. in some way. We know that Philip Jeffries, who's the puppet master behind everything, is involved in trying to be with Bob again, if that is Philip Jeffries. And I think Laura has an arc that will, I think, make her again the central focus of the story. I think she was always the mystery, but whereas initially it was a mystery that stimulated. The bringing together a lot of these elements in the first two seasons I think she'll be involved in its closure I don't think it's necessarily going to be about her personal arc but I think her well the idea of Laura almost will be critical to how things um, play out and I still think we're going to see her in the real world in some manifestation I think the fact that um, Cheryl Lee appeared at her current age in the mm. um, Red Room sequence in part two, and then, or part one, part two, and then was whisked away. I mean, that we still think is tied to the moment when the giant sends the orb down. That might be the moment that ripped her out of the Red Room and got her back into play. But I still think there's something where, especially with Sarah Palmer coming back as well, and I think her arc is going to be important there is something to do with the people of twin peaks maybe coming to terms with what happened all those years ago and understanding that you know the idea that they were a small town with a a very enclosed storyline i think is going to be played against the idea that they're part of a much bigger plot and that laura is somebody who was placed there to um you know in some metaphysical sense, put Twin Peaks on the map.
1: Yeah, I, I keep thinking back to the one and only time that we've seen Leland in, in The Return, which is when he's in the Black Lodge and the only thing he says to Cooper is, find Laura. And he looks incredibly sad. Yeah. But he explicitly tells him to do that. And I think that will be called back to. I think Cooper will have to go and find Laura wherever it is that she's gone, yeah. uh, whatever's happened to her. I I think he will have to go in search of her. I do think that we will see her again in the real world. I think it's going to become incredibly important the fact that she resisted Bob and that she seems to have been the only person who did resist him and chose, actually, I am not going to be inhabited. Um, What is it about her that gave her the strength to do that when other people did not? Because that seems to have been the one thing that Bob was never able to achieve. I think that's going to be incredibly important in the end, Um, and that it it will it gives her back a level of agency within the story that maybe she's kind of lacking as just you know the figure of the murder victim usually is in these kind of stories. As murder victims go, she she is infinitely more important than you normally see in these kind of you know crime procedurals where the victim is just a MacGuffin, really mm. you know she's so much more important than that and despite not actually being physically present within the story um, it's is a remarkable thing that they've done but i do think that would be really important in the end
0: and i think that going back to what you're saying about laura being able to resist bob two things spring to mind one we're going to see i think a big reemergence of the owl ring and how that plays into events secondly going back to part eight when we see the birth of evil Mm. with uh bob appearing in 1945 etc i think we're also setting that up to be about the concurrent arc of laura as well that has to be um, played out i think in some way they have to explain why laura is the defining um force against bob but whether it's in her own physical form or whether it's the uh way that she inspires people or the way that she drives events in some way it's kind of hard to know second question um from matt cult was what's going on with the puke zombie in the honking woman's car (laughs) very good question um i suppose that was the strangest bit of part 11 Um, in that it was suddenly a switch between the very real types of violence and horror that we're seeing in Twin Peaks. Uh, Sort of throwing in, you know, just a straightforward bit of (laughs) zombie-style, bizarre body horror, vomiting, and all kinds of crazy stuff that just appeared in the middle of that strange shooting car scene.
1: Yeah. So people who... Have listened to podcasts. So lot will know that we're both big Buffy fans, mm. and I realised what it was that that sequence with all the traffic stacked up like that and the honking horns and everything reminded me of. Mm. And it's actually it's in season seven of Buffy, when everyone is trying to leave town, and basically the whole of Sunnydale. Well, okay, spoilers for Buffy if you mm-hmm. haven't seen Buffy by now. it's Been apologies. twenty years. <laughs> if, if you haven't seen Buffy yet, skip forward the next couple of minutes. Season seven. Sunnydale is trying to evacuate because so much weird stuff is happening and the influence of the hellmouth is basically starting to drive people um, a a bit nuts, basically. Um, Weird, violent things keep happening. It's it's influencing the way people think and everyone is trying to get out of town and you see these queues of cars and there's honking horns and everyone is freaked out. Um, Everyone is tense. And the way that it's shot just kind of sort of builds up this this kind of tension of, of something that's happening to a whole community, even though we're just seeing what's happening with the Scooby Gang, you know, you, you get the picture that this is happening to a much wider community and it's affecting an awful lot of people. And that was what that just with the cars stacked up the way that they were and everyone beeping their horns and freaking out, it reminded me of that. And it, it kind of made me think of okay, end of spoilers for Buffy now it made me think of uh the the way in which if the almost the kind of veil between the real world and the lodges is becoming thin and there's more lodge influence in the world and there are people like red in town who feel lodgy and there's this weird design of drug going around that might have something to do with it people are taking this drug are they in some way weakening the, the kind of boundaries between the two worlds is, is this a kind of hellmouth style influence being felt within the community of some kind of evil, lodgy power actually manifesting itself across the whole town? And are we seeing the wider community? So not just the pe- characters that we're following, but other people being affected by this, the way people just seem to be losing it? Yeah. I mean, you think of the way Becky lost it in the same yeah. episode, the way she just completely... Flew off the handle, didn't even notice what she was doing to Shelley and just went and shot the hell out of a door. I mean, who knows what she would have done if she'd actually found Stephen and Gerstin down the mm. stairwell. And then you have this scene where you've got the, the driver who's just losing it um, in the traffic jam. And then the girl, I mean, she says that the girl is sick. and But then when she sees what's happening to the girl, when she's just kind of puking like that, she just starts shouting, ah, ah, herself, Mm. which almost sounds like a human car horn Mm. going (laughs) off, in the way that it repeats. And I I, I do wonder if... Well, I I think that we'll probably never see those characters again. I think it's one of those, like you said, one of those weird body horror moments that they put into these things. But I think it could be emblematic of a, a sickness that is being absorbed by... By the world by society
0: yeah and i think if these um events that we're seeing with bobby are really in sync with the events at the sheriff's station for example and it is approaching the first and second of october i do wonder if this is the equivalent of the handshakiness that took place when the lodge was about to open in the original series i mean we've already seen uh gordon cole's right hand going wrong hand but you know that same thing is happening there that could have been shock we don't know but i can see that the manifestation of the opening of a portal or the alignment of the planets being right for the uh door to the black lodge to open as well that could be what we're seeing here and we might see more events which like you say are um, emblematic of that event but they may not all be the same we're not going to see lots of puking zombie people we might just see different elements of weirdness popping up all over the place and maybe this was a good one to start off with because it it would be a bit of a jolt to the audience as well to know that this is the time when things are happening um although i think for bobby it could be interesting because maybe seeing weird things might be there to prepare him for what he's going to experience when he leads hawk and truman up to jack rabbit's palace
1: yeah because I, i think that although you know obviously his dad told him some stuff like the vision that he has of of what we think is probably the white lodge i i don't think that bobby is as clued in as Hawke and truman are as to exactly what they might be expecting because we've seen Hawke and truman have conversations about was it really cooper who left the lodge and things like that and are there two coopers and talking about about these strange places where bobby was not a part of the conversation so maybe Bobby's not going to be expecting as much. And then again, where you, where you see Hawke and Truman looking at the map in part 11, they're, they're very much just discussing it, the two of them, as to what kind of thing they, that they might be expecting, very obliquely. But Bobby's not part of those conversations, so it might be a bit more of a shock to him as to whatever the heck it is they find there. I think it's going to be something beyond any of our expectations.
0: So, uh, third question. What has been the funniest sequence of The return so far? (laughs) I think, actually, that's a really important question because there's been a lot of darkness in the most recent episodes. But just as the original Twin Peaks would like to mix tones quite a lot, I think there have been some genuinely funny moments that have sometimes been sort of farcical, absurd humour. Some have been a bit silly. But there have been some genuinely genuinely kind of laugh out loud funny things. I think the one that springs to mind is probably the reveal in part five of Dr. Jacoby's (laughs) golden shit digging shovels which I still think, if we watch that episode again it's still one of the funniest things that's happened in in the Twin Peaks universe.
1: Yeah, in in terms of what actually made me laugh when I was watching it I I could not stop laughing throughout that whole... (laughs) sequence as soon as he starts shouting shovel your way out of the (laughs) ship i i just did not stop laughing for the rest of that scene and it, it was partly because it was so funny but also because it was it was almost this wonderful meta joke where they must have known that fans would theorize about those early scenes with him taking the deliveries spray painting the gold shovels what's he doing is there something mystical happening here and then it turns out to be it turns out to be this and that made it twice as funny because we had all devoted so much time and energy to try and figure out what was going on. What's
0: he doing? Why are there five shovels? Why are they gold? Is it yeah. to do with alchemy? All these kind of things. <laughs> it was crazy.
1: And it, it just made it extra funny. Yeah, I think so that that's probably my my most funny moment of of Through ten so far. But th- there have been there have been other things that we just keep laughing at when we go back hmm. to, um, like a uh, chip.
0: Yeah. Chip ain't got no phone. <laughs> from part one, that's that whole sequence with uh, the two police officers going to the apartment where they find Ruth's body, so Ruth's head and Briggs's body, and the interaction they have with Barney outside. Yeah, is it Barney? Is it Harvey? Is it Chip? I can't
1: remember. <laughs> no, he's no Bar- Barney and Harvey one of them is the manager of the building and then the other <laughs> is the person that that guy is talking to on the phone outside and chip is the brother of barney yeah and then the hank. guy who, hank is the, hank guy is who's the outside. one
0: yeah just it's so convoluted even for that <laughs> even for us now um yeah that whole sequence where they come across hank and he's so shifty with his little black sack and his medical bag as well And when he just exclaims, Chip ain't got no phone, I remember thinking about that. And I I knew that's one of those lines that I would remember forever. It was so ridiculous. And that bit afterwards where they've gone to get the keys. And he's like, am I free to go? Am I free to go? And you kind of, he's just left hanging there. But they do cut back to him to have that conversation with Harvey. Harvey, Chip, Barney, Hank, (laughs) one of them, um, where he's on the phone. Yeah, And I think... It's interesting. That may not come up again, but I have a secret suspicion it might. There's mm. something about that whole thing that might turn up again. But you never know. It, it could have just been a an end of his arc, but it was funny nonetheless. Um, and actually, in part part eleven, just because it happened last week, the other bit I remember is uh, David Lynch's Gordon Cole doing that deadpan. He's dead <laughs> after seeing uh, after seeing um, Bill Hastings' body in the back of uh, Macley's car. Mm. So, another question from Hannah, who said she would love a discussion about the significance of the Arthurian references and what they may mean to the plot and character development that we see in the return.
1: Mm. So, we've been thinking about this for a while. I think it was back in maybe part four, part five, when we started noticing the street names having Arthurian references. And we, and we talked about a little bit about what that might mean then. And there's also been a really good article on the 25 Years Later site by Lindsay from Bickering Peaks called The Heroic Grail Quest of FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper. Um, and I've, I've kind of gone back over all of this again over the last day or two because there have been some extra things that I've been thinking about, um, particularly in terms of, um, of where Arthur is supposed to be before he comes back. So in the original series... We've got the reference to Glastonbury Grove, um, which is where the portal to the the Black Lodge is. And obviously that's supposed to be King Arthur's burial place. Um, As we get reminded, King Arthur's buried in England. (laughs) Uh, And then there's also the bit in the shooting script that wasn't filmed, where you've got the arm that comes out and offers the sword. Um, But whether that's canon or not, given that they didn't shoot it, I, I don't know. But it was obviously intended to be kind of references to that at the time. And then in the return, what we've seen is that the Arthurian references have largely been centred around Las Vegas, um, which I think is really important. So you've got these street references. There's Lancelot Court, which is a double reference because it's Lancelot, but also the court of King Arthur. Um, And then that's supposed to be near Merlin's Market. And then the park where Janie E goes to meet the thugs to give them the money is a park at the corner of Guinevere and Merlin. So all of these street names are collected in Las Vegas specifically. And it could be that, you know, there's a new de- housing development and they name all the streets on the housing development after a certain theme. But it, they come so close together, they have to be deliberate to have these callbacks, given that we've had Arthurian references before. Um, and we've talked about whether, whether um, there might be a missing reference that hasn't been made yet, which is a reference to Arthur himself. There's been no street names in Las Vegas that actually talk about the name Arthur. And we thought earlier on that maybe the reference to Arthur will come when Cooper wakes up. So obviously Arthur is supposed to be this kind of returning figure. So in kind of ancient British mythology, you've got um, Arthur, who is this kind of king under the mountain figure. Um, And it's quite a, a common figure found in a lot of cultures a lot of folklore where you have this sleeping or undead heroic figure who will return when he is needed by his people uh, basically and Arthur is a a figure very much like that and the legends go all the way back to ancient britain so you're talking about basically welsh cornish um it's basically pre-saxon britain Um, Basically, so a lot of things have been translated over the years, and a lot of the the texts are old. And there's a lot of different um, sources for these various legends, so they appear in different forms. Sometimes Um, it's been debated whether or not there really was a figure that King Arthur is based on, um, and if so, where he might have actually been. But the most commonly kind of held mythology that people now think of is one where. Arthur gets mortally wounded at the Battle of Camlann, fighting against Mordred, but he doesn't die. Instead, he's taken to Avalon, which is this um, magical place where his wounds can be healed. And the idea is that he's still in Avalon and he will return um, when he's needed. So um, Morgan le Fay, who is a sorceress and her sisters, rule Avalon and they are the ones who can heal King Arthur so he doesn't actually die of his wounds. And the name Avalon, which is derived from sort of old Welsh and Gaelic sources, it kind of loosely translates to the Isle of Fruit Trees or the Isle of Apples. And in mythology it's linked also to this concept of the Fortunate Isle which is an island where um, everything is so fertile that everything you could possibly want just grows. All the fruit and food that you could ever want just grows out of the ground. You don't actually have to do anything. Uh, it's It's a kind of slightly paradise-type place um, that is supposed to exist on an island on its own. And I was thinking about this and and where the name Avalon comes from. Because obviously we've been talking about Glastonbury a lot, but actually Glastonbury is, is supposed to be Avalon, and the original term was Avalon. And I was looking at this kind of derivation of the name Avalon, and then I thought, well, I wonder where the name Las Vegas derives from. It's obviously Spanish, but I didn't know what it meant. So I looked up and the most common translations I could find were the fields or the meadows and that it was named this because there were these underground artesian wells that created green fertile land in the middle of the desert. So basically there was this kind of lush, green, fertile place surrounded by, by desert. And I, I started thinking, well, is this, is there a parallel here? between the concept of the island of Avalon, which is this fertile place in the middle of an ocean, with Las Vegas, which is this fertile place surrounded by sort of an ocean of desert. And then the way in which the concept of Avalon became tied in with the concept of Glastonbury is kind of interesting. So in the 12th century, a bunch of monks at Glastonbury Abbey basically claimed that they had found Arthur's tomb there. And it was probably a bit of a publicity stunt on their part. Um, because suddenly they got loads of pilgrims coming to the abbey um, and there was lots of money coming in. And it, it certainly worked because Glastonbury has, from that point onwards, always been connected with King Arthur. But there are a few other connections as well, not just the monk claiming that they found, um, they found his burial place there. Glastonbury Tor would historically have been like an island because it would have been surrounded by marshland. So even though it is in the middle of the country, there is kind of an island nature to it. And in Welsh, its name was Ennis um, Aflach. I, I apologise, my Welsh pronunciation <laughs> is not good, but it basically means island of apples. And the area had also been called in Old Welsh the island of glass. So when the Saxons turned up, they called it, Glast- it ended up with the name Glastonbury, basically derived after that. So there were these connections um, to Glastonbury that kind of made it possible that the parallels with the concept of the island of Avalon with it being the place where King Arthur was buried and would therefore return from. But what I really like is the idea that Las Vegas could itself be a stand-in for Avalon, this place that is named for the fact that it is a a green and fertile place within an ocean of desert like Avalon being a you know, a fertile place within an natural ocean. And that it's essentially somewhere for Cooper, who could be a sort of Arthur-like figure of the returning hero, to basically heal before he actually comes back when he's needed. If, if you think about it, there is magic happening in Las Vegas. The Lodge spirits are clearly looking out for him. They won him hundreds of thousands of dollars at the casino. They made sure he got the cherry pie. They gave the dream to the Mitchum brothers and also you've got these three figures of candy sandy and mandy who although they're not specifically sisters they form a kind of sisterhood of the three of them and could there be something magical about them Hmm. um particularly given that candy seems to be getting more and more important could they have something to do with the way that that he's going to be healed. Um, everything happening in Las Vegas is physically removed from what's happening elsewhere. It's far away from Twin Peaks. It's far away from Buckhorn. It's it's he's been taken to another place, and he is slowly regaining his senses there, while everyone around him is acting to protect him. Even people at his own firm are, you know, for the most part, looking out for him and trying to make sure that he's okay. And he is slowly regaining himself. He's responding to things. That he finds memorable. And if you remember when he gets taken to the doctor by Jane E. and the doctor examines him, he doesn't have any scars on his body. And yet we know he's been shot, we know he's been stabbed. So has he just completely healed? You know, is that when he's come back from the lodge? Did he come back in that way? Or has he physically been healed while he's been in, in Las Vegas? And I do think that the Las Vegas storyline will wrap up at the point where cooper is then going to return to twin peaks as this kind of returning hero figure and it will be at the point where he has been completely healed and he is completely himself again i just like the parallels between the places um although las vegas is a real place not a mythical place it it has these kind of strange connections to the concept of Avalon.
0: it's very thorough (laughs) (laughs) does that answer your question um yeah no so in light of that do you think that any of the other characters in las vegas represent um arthurian characters or any of the other events um might you know reflect things in the mythology as well the one that i was thinking about when you were speaking just now was this idea that um is it morgan Le Fay and her sisters look after avalon or in charge of it and there's a parallel between them and Candy Mandy Sandy is there something to do with uh, the Mitchum brother who had his eye cut healed as well in the same in the same environment
1: yeah because that that was an odd thing where we haven't seen the lodge spirits physically heal someone before and yet that must it must be a mystical thing a cut like that would not have healed itself and it must have been an intervention from someone looking after Cooper to give them a sign that they should pay attention to the dream but it is another it is another act of healing and also you think about some of the characters that um kind of Dougie Cooper's come into contact with where he has done them good but the way in which he has done them good and improved their lives is connected to the way that the lodges are looking out for him so everything from as small as the guy who never drank his coffee now getting his green tea latte all the way to the gambling addict lady in the casino who has her entire life healed and her relationship with her family healed by cooper by way of the this magical interference from the lodges um even his home life has been healed no E seems infinitely happier now I don't know how that's going to end because obviously if Cooper leaves, that's um, that could not end well. But there, there seems to have been a positive influence on everyone, even the Mitchum brothers themselves. Within the space of an episode, went from these kind of bloodthirsty gangsters who were itching to kill him to sitting around the dinner table with him, getting all sentimental about the fact that he's obviously helped this old lady. They clearly didn't realise that she's talking about all the money that she took from that <laughs> casino as well. But there is some kind of positive influence that, that seems to be affecting people um, around Dougie Coop in, in Las Vegas.
0: So in light of what might be about to happen next with a healing or healed Cooper, were there characters involved in the Arthurian myth who you know were involved in escorting uh, Arthur into Avalon or were prophesied to lead him out of Avalon? And could those be reflected in some of the characters we've seen so far?
1: So I, I think that there might be a couple of different versions of how he got there. I think there's one in which there are three women and another one in which there are four women who actually took him there. I think there's one in which one of them is Morgan LeFay and and the Lady of the Lake and two queens who took him there. And then another one I think there are three women who are with him in the boat hmm. who actually take him to Avalon. Um, I guess you could think about maybe the people who send him to Las Vegas. Are they Nido, an American girl, hmm. who conspire to send him through that portal instead of the other one, which we presume would have taken him to where Mr. C was, which would not have been good? Um, or, or is it a figure who is in Las Vegas itself? Um, I don't think there's anything about a prophecy of who brings him out Because although the prophecies that he returns, obviously, (laughs) he never has. So there's no... um, Although maybe the potential for an interesting story, if someone wants to actually uh, tell it. Maybe there have been versions told, but none none in any of the kind of legendary contexts. But I think it was a group of women who took him there. So maybe
0: they've kind of subverted it a little bit, and those three women could end up being Candy, Mandy and Sandy in some way.
1: Yeah, I mean, there does seem to be something slightly otherworldly about them yeah like they've got their mind on something more important than whether someone's asking them for a piece of cherry pie at that (laughs) particular point in time
0: so next question is from alice in Land, who uses the same twitter handle One main question is the use of the Threnody music and possessed camera work for Becky's assault in part 11. So, yeah, we have the scene where near the start of the episode, Becky receives a phone call from an unknown source who tells her where and what Stephen may be up to. This creates this kind of frantic anger in her that builds. Um, She then, you know, goes, uh, she calls uh, her mum, Shelley, up. She ends up stealing her car, going to the apartment where she thinks Stephen may be, whether that's something to do with his apartment in another way, or if it's more likely Gersten's apartment. Um, She finds a place they're not in, but before she realises that, she puts a few holes in the door. And uh, through the first part of that sequence especially, we hear a reprise of the music from part eight, which was Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima um and also after the shots are fired in the apartment i'm sorry i'm doing this completely out of orders i'm, re- I'm remembering it um, we had that very bizarre shot of the camera moving through the uh corridors of the apartment complex and down the stairs as eventually they uh, we see uh, stephen and gerstin sort of cowering at the bottom um hiding clearly aware that becky is on her way hmm. and they've had a bit of notice but they're hiding at the bottom of the stairs. And we see this this strange camera work, which is kind of at times sped up a bit, slowed down. It's all handheld, a bit shaky. Um, Yeah, what do you think about that?
1: (laughs) So the use of the music is when Becky is getting the phone call, isn't it? And she starts freaking out. And I don't know if it's simply supposed to be representative of this moment where this explosive anger suddenly comes to the surface and goes on to cause this kind of wave of devastation. I mean, if she had found them in the, impo- in the apartment...
0: Who knows what would have happened.
1: Yeah, you, you can quite easily imagine in the state that she was in at that time, her actually killing them.
0: And Maggie would have got a lot more calls
1: yes, <laughs> over <at> the <laughs> yeah. Sheriff's Department. So was it, you know, it was definitely a, a kind of musical callback to the devastation of, of Part 8. And also, I, I guess in some ways, that the music in part eight when the bomb goes off and, and the whole concept of that being sort of the birth of evil and giving rise to these you know evil spirits who enter the world or, or or however that might turn out to have worked is it is it just supposed to be to, to make us think about these moments that can have these terrible ripples throughout the people around them um, I mean it, it could very easily have ended in a much greater tragedy and appearing in the same episode as the part where the kid finds the gun yeah and again nobody gets hurt but it could very easily have ended in in absolute tragedy from this one small moment and it, it is it is it simply representative of how these kind of terrible shockwaves can happen from a single a single explosive moment
0: yeah I think the the thing that i think goes along with that is the fact that although it could just be representative of that we could be seeing a much more literal callback to that bomb going off so i do wonder if that you know is there a chance that the bomb going off sent ripples through time that was that meant that it was always going to be the source of all these events and suddenly these ripples have reached twin peaks Hmm. in some way so maybe it went off and and it's seeded evil everywhere but now that evil is starting to actually sprout and it's happening now because of some other event involving the opening of the lodges or something it's weird that it's happening at this point and I do wonder if it's not just saying that this is you know, the explosion of these kind of feelings and emotions in Becky that mirror the the, uh, the bomb going off it's the fact that the Bob influenced frenzy and confusion is actually taking place mm. here Because obviously, although it happened in forty-five, we don't know if you know some timey-wimey stuff has meant it's now manifesting at this particular point. I think what's odd about it is the fact that in part eleven, it's not the only callback to what we saw in part eight. Yeah. So we have a lot of woodsman-based activities, um, which haven't really appeared that much um in the intervening time the other thing was the visual callback of bobby looking into the car window mm. uh, just as the woman is screaming and the puke zombie child and all that is going on which is so similar to the way that the God-a light lincoln dude was at the window looking in whilst people were getting hysterical in the car it's almost like you know it's that time and time again thing mm-hmm. um some cycle is being repeated here and it could be tying in the birth of evil potentially the emergence of bob which spun out of that but also it then ties into the fact that this is the moment when laura reemerges as well so i think it's more to do with the cycling of events and we're coming round to seeing all these things happening again and happening in twin peaks um, so the music i think is a callback to that i think the camera work is more a stylistic choice the the, the one thing that it immediately reminded me of was the uh, evil dead stuff yeah, where the camera yeah. is moving through the undergrowth um, and, and comes to find the cabin in this case it's a lot more slowed down um, and it's a bit more disorientating but i think it's a you know it's something that kind of involves maybe you know, the force of evil traveling around, um, almost like it's saying, "This is where Becky is, and this is where the real targets of her, of her anger are mm. as well." And it's manifested in this camera work. Um, the other thing that I think it might be calling back to is that moment that we do see of Bob traveling through the woods. You know, when he escapes from Leland, yeah. and the end of one of the episodes has like an almost exact mirror of the evil dead scene where you see um uh, the camera i think moving through the undergrowth i can't remember exactly but then does it go into a cave or something or goes into darkness and you see an owl fly out yeah. and it freeze frames and that's how the episode ends i think it's all to do with that i think it, i mean it is partly stylistic but i think part 11 was the reemergence of the themes that we saw in part eight
1: yeah i think also it's more disturbing shots of stairs and corridors and more stairs yeah. and obviously we had those in the original with with the stairs in the palmer house um which kind of decided to take on this horrible significance but also there have been a lot of them in the new one um there was that like a shaky one in the trailer that we haven't seen yet yeah. Cole sees the woodsman standing on the stairs and i'm starting to get really worried about dougie's doodles yeah of stairs and ladders and something falling. Yeah. I'm getting some horrible prophecy vibes yeah. off of those, um, which are making me very concerned.
0: Yeah, because I think we did, you know, I think we thought initially that there was an, a callback to the scenes in the purple room that were taking place when we first saw those things. So we had the stairs going up, we have the you know the kind of slide or the drop out of there which is what we actually see happening in some respects but maybe all we've really seen are the steps starting to appear we may still get that drop into non-existence in some way um it's unclear but maybe we're starting to see these things happening and i mean certainly we've been guilty of it as well but we see something and then we and we start seeing hints of it in the following episode Hmm. So we start thinking, oh, maybe it's about this, but I think there are ripples of these concepts throughout the whole series, and some of them will make sense as we watch later episodes, but some of them also shed light on what we've already seen. So I think the stairs are reappearing, but they're going to appear in different forms and different ways. Um I mean off the top of my head, I also remember that, that it was pointed out that there was a strong link between the stairs or the ladders and the stairs and also the police who go up onto the roof of the 199 woman's car Mm. uh, when they find dougie's number plate so i think you know they're just recurring elements that we're seeing um but the callbacks kind of echo forward and backward in the twin peaks storyline and one very short question as well that came in from alice was um i just noticed maybe there was a third person behind the guy in the coat in the picture that's taken at the glass box that was shown to uh, Cole by Tammy Preston. So, yeah, there's um, There's that scene of Evil Coop talking to this currently unknown character who seems to be either sitting up in a very high chair or doing something very odd. And there's a hint of a shadowy figure behind in that same picture. We've had a look at it, and I think a lot of people have pointed this out as well. It does look like that, but what looks like the side of the body we think is probably the side of that um tunnel-shaped piece of uh you know wall cladding that surrounds the actual portal. And the bit that looks like the head actually could just be some wires or something which is nearby. It, It creates an interesting illusion of a of a character down the side and sort of standing perpendicular to the to the unknown character sitting on the chair or coming out of the box or whatever. But I don't think it's necessarily an extra person.
1: No, I I think it's a very strange optical illusion because the more you look at it, the more your eyes interpret it as there's a person standing behind it. But if you compare it to similar shots of the box with nobody there, I think you can see the architecture that might make up the appearance of a person if someone was standing in front of it in the right way. I don't think there's someone there. But I mean, Twin Peaks, you never know.
0: Okay, next questions are from Lauren Galloway, who uses the same Twitter handle. Thoughts on if and when we'll see Big Ed? To be honest, I thought we'd see him in part 11 when he was listed in the Comic Con panel. Mm. Maybe he thought he was going to be in the episode as well. (laughs) We don't know. Um, I think it's soon. I think it could even be today in part 12 or part 13. He was mentioned in part 11, you know, Big Ed's gas farm. So I presume that they're building up to it in some way.
1: Yeah. Was he the only person at the Comic-Con panel who hasn't appeared on screen yet?
0: I think so, yeah. Because James was there, but he did appear very briefly at the end of uh, part two, yeah.
1: Yeah, so we know that there's that publicity shot of him sitting and the big bear head on on the desk. It was from one of the trailers? Yeah. One of the little teaser trailers. So he must appear. I don't know if he's going to appear in the context of what's happening with Nadine or if it will transpire that they're no longer together and he's he's just in it in the context of the gas farm. He's clearly not, well, sadly, not married to Norma because she's still Norma Jennings, isn't she? Um, but he does it,
0: have two I coffee think... cups, which I thought was interesting. If somebody's in that same scene with him, that could be interesting. He has two double R to go coffees in front of him.
1: Yeah, in that in that teaser clip, which makes me feel really sad because that means he's been to the double R and was he going there to see Norma and who who is the other coffee cup. Maybe Norma's there with him, maybe they're still trying to or maybe make he just it keeps
0: work. buying coffee to see her. Oh Or maybe he's sad because his coffee has gone cold.
1: Oh, oh <laughs> I feel bad for Big Ed. But I hope we see him soon.
0: Yeah. Next question, will we ever get back to just being in Twin Peaks?
1: Yes, I think we will. Towards the end, yeah, I think Buckhorn and Yankton are on the verge of being wrapped up. I don't think yeah. there's much more to do there.
0: Yeah, so we've discussed this in a couple of previous episodes, but the Las Vegas plot is going to be done, I think, in the next couple of episodes. There might be some hanging over bits, but I think that's going to be done. And when Cooper reemerges. He's either going to leave Las Vegas, or he's going to, or there's a chance he might leave Las Vegas in the state he's in, but reemerge as the real Cooper when he returns to Twin Peaks in some way. The Buckhorn plot line involving Cole and the gang that looks like it's all heading back to Twin Peaks as well, or at least around the area. Um, it might have a diversion as they interact with Dougie because they obviously have the ring that they're looking into, and also the Fusco detectives are now probably going to work out that Dougie has the same fingerprints as Dale Cooper. So it might just converge the Buckhorn plotline, the Las Vegas plotline, and take everyone who's relevant to Twin Peaks.
1: Yeah, because you see, I thought that they would... I thought that Cole and the gang would end up in Las Vegas sooner because the fingerprints have been run because of the ring. There can only be one Janie and Dougie married in the US, or the world even, Uh, But now that they've got the coordinates, I don't know if it's going to shoot off in a different direction where they're going to go to where the coordinates are from Ruth's body or or whatever is happening with Diane, whoever she's involved with, are they trying to use her in some way to find out who it is? Were those coordinates the real coordinates or not? So I don't know if that's going to happen first before they go to Las Vegas. Is it going to be a red herring? Is the is the ring a red herring? Are they yep. not going to follow it? I don't know who wh- what's going to happen first. Cooper waking up or them. Because I thought initially that maybe they going to Las Vegas would be the thing that woke him up. But yeah. now I'm not so sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that could be interesting is given that Cole got really close to that portal in part 11, if there's any wormhole element where you can travel between portals, is there a chance they're going to go into one portal and end up in Las Vegas?
1: Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Maybe all
0: because maybe all these portals might might bring people together as well. There's a funny, funny situation where maybe you can see Cole and Albert going towards one of these portals and I think they have seen these portals before or know something about them. Certainly Cole does from Secret History; He knows something weird is going on in the world. I can see them maybe flickering out of existence in one place and turning up and maybe they turn up in a new location which starts bringing in um, the characters to a new location. I think, in terms of the Twin Peaks plotline, I think a lot was set up in parts one and two that hasn't been resolved. And I think one aspect that we know is going to be important is the journey to Jack Rabbit's Palace, yeah, and the subsequent events from that. But also, I think that we still have so much which is unresolved with uh, the Shelley storyline, with James, Big Ed, and Nadine. The concept of the Bookhouse boys reuniting. Um, I like Mark Frost tweet the other day that Carl Rod was maybe an original Bookhouse boy. Mm. You know, the idea that Cooper is going to go back. I still think there's a lot that's going to happen with Owls in the Roadhouse. The Jean-Michel Renault storyline has to, to um, take center stage as well as some criminal element, which is going to tie together the drugs and prostitution in Twin Peaks, and maybe tie in red as well. There is a remarkable amount which is being set up. But I almost get the feeling that the return of Cooper to Twin Peaks will be the moment where everything really switches over there. I think ultimately Doppel Cooper is going to end up there as well. Mm. Um, certainly if he's looking for the Black Splodge.
1: <laughs> that's,
0: that's a good name for it. I'm going to use that for now on. Um, and we know that the Black Splodge is in Hawk's map Yeah, um, above the mountains I think it was we now know that he might be heading in that direction if he if that's what his coordinates and plans are going towards the other thing is if these coordinates are linked to the ones that Ray has Ray might end up in Twin Peaks as well mm. so there's a lot of stuff which I think is going to happen in Twin Peaks I think it's going to be maybe a couple of transition episodes where we see a little bit of both but the last run of episodes I think is going to be based in Twin Peaks and that includes scenes in the woods and potentially back in the Red Room and featuring the Black Lodge and the White Lodge in the closing hours of Twin Peaks The Return.
1: Yeah, there's also the hum in the Great Northern.
0: Oh, yeah, completely forgot about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to turn out to be something very important.
0: Yeah, if that's a beacon or a marker, something which is drawing people together or triggering the return of something bigger. And going back to the idea of being in Twin Peaks, I think, you know, we've said it before. There is going to be an Aunt Keen cameo, I think. (laughs) I think there has to be in some way. They're teasing it too much and it'll be sad if it doesn't appear. And the third question from Lauren. Is there more to the Log Lady's messages?
1: What I find really interesting about this is the fact that she always calls Hawk. And I think the impression that you get is that these calls have been going on for a long time. Yeah,
0: not just within the time frame that we're seeing events in the return.
1: Yeah, so... Whether she sees Hawke as someone who will listen, take her seriously, um, who, you know, being one of the kind of original twin Peaksers who knows that something weird happens 25 years ago. Because obviously we've seen that there's an, a new generation of people who either don't remember or don't know anything about the Laura Palmer case, but certainly are unaware of the weirdness that went down uh, in, the, in those final episodes. So what is this relationship that they've built up? Is she calling him every night to let him know what her log is saying that day? Obviously she seems very isolated. Um, maybe the phone calls are the only real contact she has with the outside world anymore. She still seems to be in her cabin in the middle of nowhere, but she's obviously very sick. And there's that comment in uh, it was part two when hawk is in the woods and he's near glastonbury grove and he sees the red curtains and just before that she calls him on his mobile and he says something like once again your log and i are
0: on the same page or in tune with each other
1: yeah yeah Yeah, because she asks, where are you walking tonight so i think that these conversations have been going on for quite a while yeah um i think that the log lady knows a lot Although she might not understand what she knows because she's interpreting these messages from her log. But I think they are extremely important. I think there's a reason why she's been given so many episode titles in what she said. I think it's highlighting the importance of what she's saying. And I I think it it, it could be that those conversations have been even going on for years, maybe, between her and Hawke.
0: And one other thing is, with regard to the log itself, if it does contain the spirit of her husband who was a woodsman um, whether it's the same type of woodsman that we are now referring to in, in the series um, I think that will come into play certainly we've seen the convenience store now as a physical location in the return and I think that there's a possibility that given that one of the woodsmen in Fire Walk With Me may have actually been um, her husband's I think it was Sam Lanterman I can see that playing a role as well. Her log actually being important in terms of knowing things that her husband knew. And I remember it in the season two finale when she shows up and Cooper is looking at the blackboard with the Alcave map on it, and she turns up and she has a jar of the scorched engine oil mm-hmm. from Glastonbury Grove. I think. The reason why these messages are important is yes they're driving the story but i think they are also revealing that there is knowledge about the weirdness in the woods which does exist and it is known to people like hawk and the log lady and i think those characters should not be discounted in the universe because there's a tremendous amount of um, information that will come into play And I think we are going to have more messages from the log lady in future episodes. It could even be something that becomes critical in the last hour. I can see her maybe having the last thing that's said in the whole thing. Um, What I would be interested to know would be whether Catherine Coulson's appearances are limited to the phone calls that she makes.
1: Mm.
0: Or if there was any opportunity for any scene to be shot involving her... Uh, physically interacting with any of the characters as well um on one side i think it is you know it's a really fitting tribute to uh Catherine Coulson, but i think it's not just there for show i think you know david lynch really liked the character of the log lady and i think lynch and frost have decided to make her pivotal in this and although they may be limited in what they could use her for i think they were smart enough to know that they would make her appearance and the things she says and the events she intervenes in critical to events in the return throughout the series they're not going to stop now like at part 12 with this being the last thing she does i think they will hang her appearances and her information throughout the 18 hours okay so a question or well one big question, and some minor questions, from Chris Butler, who is at C Butler12. One thing I've been thinking about a lot is whether it makes a difference if Laura Palmer is an ordinary girl, or if she is some kind of otherworldly spirit, as episode 8 suggests. It's clear that she was living as an earthly girl, and a very messed up one at that. The, no- the notion that she could ever emerge as a pure, happy human being at this point seems highly unlikely, and that, that wouldn't reflect who she was. So can there ever be a happy ending for Laura Palmer?
1: I think, I think it, it does make a difference if she is an ordinary girl or if she does turn out to be some kind of spirit. I think it makes a difference in terms of whether or not she actually had any control over the choices that she makes. Because the thing that made Laura heroic was, was her choices. Yeah. You know, She was put into the most horrific circumstances possible and the only agency she had was the choice limited choices that she could make within that situation and the way and the way that she was able to decide to actually um, come out of that situation without being possessed by Bob Bob. I think I think it matters whether that was predetermined I think if she turns out to be some kind of spirit but who was living as an ordinary girl and didn't know anything more about herself other than that she was an ordinary girl hmm. and still had the free will to make those choices. I think that's the important thing. Yeah. If she later realises that she was something else, I don't think that that takes away from the choices that she could make. I think it, it makes a difference if she had any choice at all.
0: Yeah. I think, um, you know, can there be a happy ending for Laura? I would like to think that there was that possibility simply because everything we saw of Laura's existence was tinged with, uh, well, sadness, horror, tragedy, and the situation that she was in was so terrible. I think the heroism that she showed is something that's very close to the story that Lynch and Frost are trying to tell. And I would love to see... A happy ending something akin to the feeling of hope and joy that maybe she had at the very end of fire walk with me when she's with cooper in the lodge
1: and it she ma- sees the angel
0: yeah maybe what what i would like to see would be an end to her torment in some way mm-hmm. the fact that she could finally be at peace i don't know if it's happiness per se but the fact that she wasn't going to ever be pulled out of any happy situation again um you know the fact that if she can you know if her spirit ultimately resides in the white lodge at the end i think that would be a good ending yeah and if it was protected from being ripped out of there like she was ripped out of the red room with cooper you know i think what would be nice would be to have laura finally finding peace yeah um, I think it's hard to say is is there a happy ending because I think in one respect we've seen her ending in the real world and it wasn't a happy ending. Um, but what I would like to see is the emergence of a physical version of Cheryl Lee as Laura Palmer. I would love to see her appear actually like the giant appeared in the roadhouse. Mm. I would like to see her appear on stage as a vision to All the Twin Peaks characters, maybe when they're listening to Julie Cruz singing, you know, a message to everyone. I think that would be a very interesting way to include her, because I think there is so much that revolves around her. And I think, like you said earlier on, we've got Leland with his find Laura message. And I think seeing Sarah as well in the state she's in so far... I think there'll be so much that she could bring to the residents of Twin Peaks in terms of resolution that are directly a result of her presence, her appearance, um, her memory being revived or kept alive in some way. Um, This idea you brought up just now of, you know, is she a spirit or was she a spirit from the very start? I think you're right i think you mentioned it in the listening post alpha thing as well it was important that the image we saw in the orb was her prom photo Mm. it i think it was there to remind us of a very specific time and place in laura's life and i don't necessarily think she was imbued with that spirit nature from birth um again i could be proven wrong this evening you know (laughs) um but i think there's more to her than just being This magical spirit who was said to fight against Bob from when she was born. Um, One theory I think might be interesting would be if she became inhabited by a spirit of the White Lodge at that point in her life. So she might have been Laura and suffering, sadly, as Laura up until those final stages of her life on Earth. But maybe when the giant sends the orb down he's basically sending a protecting white lodge spirit into her body and you know it would detract from some of her agency but what if it was this white lodge spirit inside her that was inhabiting her that helped her defy bob or pushed her in the direction of not giving up that one final time because she could have she was put through so much she could have but maybe there was an inhabiting spirit that Helped make that final decision, so it was mostly Laura, but there was some spiritual aspect to it as well.
1: And uh, also from Chris Butler, uh, the other big question is: How on earth the fish got into the percolator? Did one of the woodsmen put it there? <laughs> I don't know,
0: <laughs> and maybe.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing they ever did was ruin the coffee for everyone. <laughs>
0: i don't know i think yeah i mean joking aside one aspect of it this whole thing is at the end of the return will we look back on events and wonder whether the woodsmen have uh actually directly intervened in events we've seen so far have they been if it turns out that they are agents of the black lodge or specifically agents of bob or something will we go back and start thinking oh that strange thing we saw in um you know season one or season two was that something that could have been um, a woodsman related event i mean i know there's that scene where uh ben horn has that crazy thing where he turns around and he's looking at the uh the wooden paneling
1: yeah
0: and we think that maybe you know obviously it's maybe josie he sees or senses now that could tie into what we're seeing now with the weird hum in the walls alternatively could he have seen a woodsman you know, there are strange things where there are these unresolved issues where it'd be really fun to go back and go, hmm, maybe that was a woodman.
1: And final set of questions we got are from Bickering Peaks. Hello to Lindsay and Aidan. First one, if you were writing part 12, what would you have these characters do? Where would you go? <laughs> Ooh, I think the simple answer is, Whatever we say, it's not going to be what Lynch and Frost have done. <laughs> yeah. Because who knows what the hype is building for tonight's episode. And I'm actually really excited about it. But I think well, what would you do? I think I would bring I would bring Cooper back at this point.
0: I would bring Cooper back. I would have I wouldn't have him go to Twin Peaks, but I would bring him back and use and tie that into resolving the Las Vegas arc. So what I want to see are the Mitchum brothers helping him maybe deciding that they were being tricked by anthony sinclair yeah i want to see um potentially an end to the duncan todd storyline as well i don't want that hanging over things too much yeah so i would like to see them maybe uh roughing up anthony sinclair him saying that he was under the instruction of duncan todd in some way or was allied with him and maybe because it's an insurance related thing I want to see Justice being meted out by him and potentially Bushnell as well. I want to see Bushnell lamp somebody, (laughs) you know, square on the jaw. All this boxing metaphor, it's kind of bubbling up the surface. I want to see him take somebody down. I'd like to see him uh, punch out uh, Anthony Sinclair. I'd like to see the Fuscos um, maybe go to Dougie with this kind of, I want to know why you have no backstory i want to know why your fingerprints are the same as you know uh an fbi agent called dale cooper i want them to see him really threaten dougie with their frustration at things i want to see jamie step in and then i also want to see the sudden um, appearance or maybe a phone call where i you know and a secretary turning up and saying uh there's some people from the fbi here who want to speak to you and i want to see albert turn up and i want albert to interact with and maybe uh be on the side of Janie as they uh talk to the fusco brothers about the shoddiness (laughs) of their investigation and how the investigation has been taken away from them there will be no more questions and although i don't think albert's going to get violent i would love to see him shoot down especially uh the one who has that really annoying laugh as well (laughs) and wrap the whole thing up that way with him just saying we're taking dale cooper with us that's the end of things yeah and sorting that out
1: and maybe see the Mitchums take on Duncan Todd yeah and that squares off Mr C's last allies yeah. in Las Vegas
0: although we do have the problem of Hutch and Chantel mm. so how are they going to play into things are they going to be involved in the general melee
1: I think they'll end up following Coop wherever he goes
0: ah you know what they've got to do first Hutch has got to take out Warden Murphy
1: yeah they're still going to do that yeah yeah
0: but is that tied to things really like because i can imagine that being something which is you know a bit tangential at this point does it really matter how the warden murphy story is wrapped up
1: no i don't think we'll even see it i suspect that at one point maybe cole will get a phone call saying oh hey i just found out that warden murphy got murdered and that'll be it but i do think that we'll see hutch and chantelle on the tail of coop wherever Mm. he goes maybe even ending up in twin peaks
0: yeah that could be interesting uh, what do you think about what's going to happen in terms of the events in Twin Peaks themselves? We've got Jack Rabbit's Palace. Is that going to happen today or is that going to be built up to today? So that so that when they start, maybe in part 13, like actually in the in the excursion, that might be the, the start of the solid Twin Peaks run.
1: Yeah, because when Hawk and Truman were looking at the map, Truman said, we're going there the day after tomorrow. So it was still the same day in Twin Peaks. I think we're... St- we're still at least an episode away from them actually going to Jack Rabbit's palace. But I think we're going to see what happens with Miriam. Yeah. I think she's either going to be in a hospital or she's going to be talking to someone. She's going to tell someone about Richard Horn. I
0: think she's going to be talking to Linda.
1: I could well be talking to Linda. I
0: think they're going to find Linda at the trailer park and where those kids are and Linda's going to know Miriam in some way and that might then establish how Linda knows Richard. Maybe Linda is related or knows him and i can see that interaction happening then bringing forward some um solution to the mystery of the giants richard and linda statement
1: yeah and i think if we don't see richard hall we will at least have to have some kind of idea of where he might have taken off to because he said he was going to leave town but i think he's going to have to come back at some point yeah um, so I, I can see that storyline progressing in Twin Peaks. I can maybe even see Shelley meeting up with Red.
0: Yeah, that, could ha- about that. That could happen. That could happen. And yeah, I think the consequences are not going to be good. But I could see it maybe being built up. It was so heavily hinted that's going to happen. Mm. But I can see something happening involving Bobby intervening for mm. some reason. I can also see the Stephen Bobby altercation happening at some point. Yeah um and maybe there's a situation where steven interacts with red which could tie bobby in in some way to finding out about both because clearly bobby wants both of them taken out because these two these two (laughs) men are causing problems for the two women in in his life yeah (laughs) um the other thing i think could be eventually wrapped up but not in part 12 is what the hell's going on with gersten and maybe donna as well that has to be addressed in some way. Yeah. Um, oh, and of course, we have the things going on in the woods. I mean, talking about Jack Rabbit's Palace, we've spoken about this before, but I think that on the way to Jack Rabbit's Palace, Truman, Hawk, and Bobby are going to come across Jerry Horn. And maybe even, maybe when they need help, they might stumble across um, Jacoby's little shack and mm. his. Uh, maybe they'll need a shovel to start digging up some of that soil they need to take <laughs> with them.
1: the other thing that i'd really love to see i don't know if it can be part 12 within the time scale but i want to see andy arriving home and finding his red chair the study
0: (laughs) oh that'd be really nice a really nice moment um that'd be really cool to kind of resolve that arc actually going back to the uh richard thing i think that's going to start playing out with andy becoming involved because he's not involved in the jack rabbit's palace excursion he could be involved in starting to put the pieces together on taking down Richard because I think what they might be setting up is a Richard plotline, which is unrelated to the big mythology maybe but one where they want to have this most despicable horrible character committing all these crimes but the web is closing in on him tied to the fact that Andy is the one who's going to take him down you know I can see that being a wonderful arc with the most evil character being taken down by somebody who's been kept on the sidelines of the Mystery of what's going on in the woods, but doing his job. Uh, you know, maybe involving Lucy as well, taking down the Chad Richard Horn Alliance in some way. That would be kind of nice. I don't think it's going to happen immediately, but I can see that building up in the background. Um, because to have those two wonderful characters being the architects of the downfall of uh, <laughs> of another dodgy cop in Chad and yeah. the evil Richard Horn would be really nice as well.
1: Yeah, and I think. I would probably wrap things up in South Dakota. Um, I mean, Hastings is dead now. I don't think the FBI have any reason to keep staying there. Um, I think it will move on to finding out what was happening with Diane and who she might be communicating with, which sadly means saying goodbye to Mackley and Constance in the storyline. Although I I do kind of hope that it all ends with Albert saying, Oh, I might stop back by South Dakota on my way home.
0: (laughs) Or maybe he's like to call, You know, you go on ahead. I'm, I'm 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 staying in buckhorn <laughs> you know.
1: okay and the second question from Between peaks is do you think there's any chance any of these storylines having a wibby-wobby timey-wimey element to them either alternate timelines or shown out of order
0: <sighs> it's a tough one okay i think there is no alternate reality and no alternate timeline within what we're seeing in the return I think that what we're seeing may be the new reality which is being triggered in some way if there's a possibility so obviously what goes back to what's in the secret history all these funny things which are going on that are inconsistencies with the existing mythology it could be that what we're seeing is a new version of events but we haven't seen what would have happened alternatively are there alternate realities concurrently on screen I don't think so I think everything is happening within the same universe but we are just seeing events in each of those different plot strands moving at different paces and maybe being shown out of order within themselves but they will eventually be possible to be lined up against each other even if you have to write everything down on the piece of paper chop them out and reorder them to make them make sense
1: yeah I think there are things happening in a non-chronological fashion I think that very early scene in black and white between Coop and giant question mark hasn't happened yet. Yeah. From Cooper's perspective. Sure. It might have happened from giant question mark's perspective. Uh, so I think, I think there is an element of things being chopped up and I think events in different cities are moving at different paces. Some are covering more days in an episode while in another place it's still the same day as it was in the previous episode. So it is creating this kind of uneasy... Feeling of not knowing kind of where in time and space you are. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think that's happening. Um, like you, I, d- I don't think that there are different realities happening. I think that the all the events are coexisting in the same chronological dimension. We're just seeing them out of order.
0: Yeah. I think there is weird stuff clearly happening in Las Vegas involving Lodge influences, but those events are still happening. Um, it's just that there is like a magical element that's impinging upon events and driving them but i don't think it's going to end up with las vegas being inside somebody's head for example so that's it for our listener questions um thank you to everyone who sent in questions if you like this kind of format um we won't do them all the time, but it might be nice to do them maybe sort of maybe before parts 17 and 18 <laughs> air. Mm. And certainly we'd like to do one maybe afterwards as well. Yeah. Um, and of course, one question that we have is, you know, are we going to return to the listening post with Vickering Peaks at the end of the return? I hope so.
1: I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will.
0: That'd be really cool. Um, but thinking about what's been going on um as a result of going through all these questions and ask uh, answering them as well we did also have a few thoughts we thought we'd drop in as well about some of the things that we thought might be uh important or about to happen in the upcoming hours of twin peaks as well so we thought we'd drop those into this episode as well
1: yeah so we went back and we re-watched the scene between bobby and major briggs in the diner where major briggs talks about his vision of of hope uh and the parallels that you have between that and then the scene where Bobby and Shelley and Becky are in the This time, Bobby's on the other side of the table. He's on the side of the table where his dad was before. Now he has to be the grown up. And it's, it's not quite as lyrical and beautiful as the scene is with, uh, with Major Briggs. But Major Briggs certainly was kind of in tune to something spiritual in some way when he was talking. And I watched it again and, and where he describes his vision of being in um, the big house and there's a light coming from inside and his son is at the door and he knows that he's living a happy life i wonder if it could be when we go to jack rabbit's palace or it could be after that but i do wonder if we are actually going to see something like that but from bobby's perspective Mm. of arriving at a place like this i wonder if it wasn't just a a vision but if he was actually seeing something that would happen and i wonder if I think it could be quite beautiful in some ways to see Bobby approaching a house like that and know that this is connected in some way to
0: what... It may not become apparent to him immediately, but it would as events unfolded. Yeah. Um, And I think it would also fit with the idea you were saying earlier about how we've seen the scene between the giant and Cooper from the giant's perspective, where Cooper fades out. But actually, I like the idea of seeing the opposite of that conversation later on. And I think this is another situation where we could see both halves of an event from different perspectives but the first one we saw 25 years ago and now the prophecy comes through and it would fit with the idea that Briggs has been time traveling he's seen all these different things and uh now we're going to see the follow-up to it as well
1: and then finally I, I think this might be my most tenuous connection ever <laughs> in a in all <laughs> of these episodes it's a good introduction isn't it just <laughs> so tenuous
0: but the most tenuous ones are less likely to be proven wrong
1: <laughs> so the policeman's dream of donuts. <laughs> I know where this is right. going. Yeah. <laughs> this, we've got two occasions now. There's the bit in the original series, I think it was a pilot episode, where Coop sees all the donuts laid out on the table. And he goes, ah, the policeman's dream. And Harry says, oh, yeah, Lucy sets this up for us every night. And it's just dozens of donuts laid out on the table. I don't know how they can possibly eat them all, um, although I would like to give it a go. But maybe not every day. <laughs> Uh, and then we see that again, where Cole and the gang are in Buckhorn, and Tammy and Mackley bring the donuts in. He says, "Ah, the policeman's dream." Now, I remember back in season one, I think it was part episode six, episode seven, yeah. depending on how you count them. Whether yeah, they, they were, were episodes back then, they weren't episode parts. One, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the one where Waldo gets shot. Yeah. Basically, and its blood ends up all over the donuts. And for some reason, when I think of Hi- Cooper saying the policeman's dream, looking at the donuts, I think about this. It's not the same donuts because it's not the same day, yeah. but the way they're all laid out on the table. Yeah, there's a similar spread, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and all those blood ends up all over there, all over the donuts. Sadly, and I was thinking about the weird way that they've staged that I've seen in Buckhorn, where you've got coal. And Albert and Tammy and Matt and they're all sitting around drinking coffee, eating donuts. And then Diane is like perched up on that really weirdly high stool, like several feet above everybody else um, in her crazy red trousers and uh, just looking very out of place. And then I was thinking about the bit in the original series where you've got. Cooper and Harry and Hawk and Andy and they're all investigating at this point the Laura Palmer murder and they find Waldo and they bring it into the conference room and it's hanging in its bird cage up at the top and the fact that you've got someone who's out of place in there. Someone who's not part of the investigation. Diane isn't part of the investigation. She yeah. doesn't work for the FBI anymore. She
0: was brought in for a specific purpose and she's still hanging around. Yeah. But Cole has kept her in the loop because he clearly is keeping an eye on her.
1: Yeah. And I just started thinking about the fact that Diane, like Waldo, knows something that they're not yeah. telling anyone about. Because Diane is getting these weird text messages. She's sending them. She's clearly not telling people what's really going on. And just the fact that she was perched up high on this stool in front of everyone and all the donuts were laid out there and i just get i started getting some weird vibes that something bad is going to happen to diane just like it happened to poor waldo i don't know that like i said it's my most tenuous one yet but the donuts kind of connected the two for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: so we'll call that the diane is a minor beard theory (laughs) But she might sound to be like quite a major bird in the whole thing.
1: Uh, ah, see what uh, I did there. Did
0: right, I think that's a very good place to stop all this. <laughs> <laughs> stop everything. End the podcast. Um, yes, so uh, we just thought we'd drop those things in because they were on our minds having thought about some of these aspects of what's happened in parts 1 to 11 and what might be coming up as well. Thank you again for listening. Um, we are really appreciative of all the tweets you send us and all the conversations we're having with everyone all over the world on twitter and facebook regarding twin peaks it's really fun to be a part of everything um we hope you enjoy our listener feedback episode we'd love to do another one later as we were saying please do follow us on twitter at tfcaa uh, tell everyone about our podcast it's great <laughs> um yeah no thank you for spreading the word about everything and sharing and retweeting our stuff and Um, visit our website www.timeforcakesandale.com or find us on facebook time for cakes and ale and
1: yeah until next time let's rock
0: let's rock see you in a couple of days Mm. goodbye
1: goodbye